Scripture lesson is from Matthew chapter 25, beginning at the, be, at the beginning of the chapter. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the doors were shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The word of the Lord. Thanks be God. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we look at your text, as we look at the scriptures, that you would burn them on our hearts to believe them, to obey them, to rejoice in them. And we pray that we remember your good deeds, that we may be encouraged as your people to be faithful and trust in you and to give us rest even as you gave Ruth rest. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A long time ago, in a galaxy far away, when I was a young officer in the Marine Corps, I read an article in Time magazine one year uh, that pictured all the people in America that had been shot during a previous week period. It had little pictures of all those people. And as I looked through the pictures and noticed the times and places where they had been shot and killed, what stood out to me was that most of them were shot between midnight and 4 a.m. And usually in a bar or some kind of drinking establishment. And I realized at that point that nothing good happens after midnight, especially around drinking establishments. And if you read the news this morning, there was shootings in Baltimore, and guess at what time they began? After midnight. Now, as I got older and had children, and they got to teenage years, and uh, they were wanting to stay out later and later, uh, they would come to me and ask to stay out later. I would remind them of this article that I read, and I would tell them of my conclusion. Nothing good happens after midnight, so be back by 10 p.m. <laughs> and the older I got, and the more dads that I got to know, I found out they had the same kind of wisdom, most often with their own stories from them growing up as well. Nothing good happens after midnight. But that's not true when you come to the Bible. In fact, a lot of good things happen after midnight. And you have to ask yourself, hopefully you were when we had all these text readings, why does the text, why does the Holy Spirit tell you, as the listener, that all these interesting things happen at midnight? Why that detail, midnight? For example, when Paul had been floundering around the sea on his journey to Rome, on his way to Rome to appeal before Caesar, the text tells you in Acts 27, 27, that, quote, 
when the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. Now, why does the Holy Spirit say about midnight? And also, why does the text mention it was the 14th night? Why do you need to know that? Ever thought about that? Or, in Acts 20, moving a little bit to left, verse 7, we're told that Paul, quote, prolonged his speech until midnight while he was meeting with the saints in Troas on the first day of the week. Why are we told that? That, that he was long-winded. Okay, that he, we find out later he spoke the whole night. But about midnight, he prolonged his speech. Or why in Acts 16, which was just read, why are we told that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listing them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everybody's bonds were loosened. Well, you know the rest of the story. We just heard it. But why did this happen at midnight? Why not about morning light? So they, they could see as they escaped. You know, if they had bonds fell off, it's light outside, let's go. Or why not about 9 p.m.? They have all night in the darkness to run and get away, right? And then when you want to break jail, it's just have the most amount of invisibility. Or why in the story of the ten virgins does the bridegroom arrive at midnight. In the gospel reading from Matthew 25, five virgins get into the marriage feast, but five don't. What's up with that? What's up with the warning to watch, for you neither know the day nor the hour? Or why does David, in the psalm that we sang, arise at midnight to praise the Lord? At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. But why midnight? I mean, you know, why not get a few more hours of shut-eye so that you aren't so zonked the next day, interrupting your sleep in the middle of the night? I've been woken at midnight. It's not good. Even Elihu, the last guy to speak in the book of Job, the young, well, we think he's young, impatient one, reflecting on God's justice, notes that, quote, here's what he says, in a moment they die at midnight, the people are shaken and pass away, and the mighty are taken away by no human hand. Chapter 34. And what in the world does he mean by that? What's he alluding to? Sounds like he's been watching some divine horror movies. People disappearing at midnight with no human hands grabbing them. Or even the book of Ruth, as we read and heard, has a midnight episode. In chapter 3, Naomi is scheming to provide Ruth rest. I think uh, Abe's version had a different word there. Um, but she wants rest for her. And she places her, her at the feet of Boaz at the local threshing floor after they've been rejoicing and, and having a little wine. And behold, Boaz wakes up at midnight and finds a woman at his feet. And that sounds like the beginning of a Jane Austen novel, doesn't it? Okay, is it? Some woman comes all dressed frilly and lays down at the guy's feet, right? And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly. You can see the hedges in the background of the Jane Austen movie, right? And uncovered his feet and lay down. 
At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Spread your wings? What's that in reference to? Of course, this couldn't be a Jane Austen novel, because they don't have a fight with 32 misunderstandings, and then a whole long novel of 500 pages before they get it all worked out and happily marry at the end. No, in this divine story, things get fixed the next morning. I mean, he's, he's hot to trot. It goes and talks the men in the gates. Several weeks ago, speaking of gates, uh, in my gate sermon, I mentioned the doings of Samson in the Philistine town of Gaza. And we're told that Samson lay until midnight and at Midnight, he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that's in front of Hebron. Maybe at our next church party out uh, at Tim Glantz, there shouldn't be a tractor pull, there should be a, a gate pull and see how far we can carry the gates on our backs. And in that sermon, I noted that Samson was offering the Israelites an unguarded city. A city wide open for the taking. But why the emphasis that he ripped up the gates at midnight? Twice midnight is mentioned. How many of you did your homework and thought about that and argued about it at lunch that day? Why did Pastor Shade point out midnight? So why all this midnight posturing in the Bible from cover to cover in all these stories and events? Why this kind of detail? What is the Lord trying to get you to notice after you hear this or read it repetitively, to think about, to ponder, to uncover and dwell upon. It is the glory of kings to uncover stuff, right? Or princesses for that matter. Why is the Lord having the Holy Spirit spend billions of dollars on ink and think of all the labor that went into writing the word midnight for the last couple thousands of years? Why is he doing that? Uh, having people type it out and read about midnight and people are reading about midnight all over the globe every day. This must be an important theme, you think? Well, I do think it is. So why midnight? Because midnight is the decisive point of salvation. It's the decisive turning point in the story. For God's people, it's the decisive point of deliverance. It's the point when the tide is turned, when freedom arrives, when God's actions uh, cultivate in liberty for his people. For the wicked, it's a decisive time when the enemy's back is broken, when he realizes that he is vanquished. It's the point when his energy is spent and there are no more reserves. It's when he throws in the towel and realizes, game up. And that's because salvation in the Bible is like a coin. It has two sides. Deliverance, this is the coin of salvation. Deliverance for God's people on one side and destruction for the wicked on the other side. The destruction of the wicked paves the way for the liberty and release of God's people. And the release of God's people necessitates the destruction of the enemy. Okay, they go hand in hand. So where does all this ideas or, or theme of midnight spring from? Where, what is or where is the premier midnight passage, the foundational midnight that gives rise to all the others? 
Well, you know where it comes from. It comes from the Exodus, from the last plague, from the climatical moment of the ten plagues. I'm glad Pastor Joe's not there yet. He would have already stolen my thunder. But that's the tenth plague is where midnight comes into play because it's at midnight that the Lord destroys the firstborn of Egypt, causing the release of his people to be free and to leave and worship the Lord in the wilderness. Let me just read you a couple of those passages in case you've not been reading ahead to find out where Pastor Joe's going. Exodus uh, 12, 29 through 33. At midnight, Yahweh struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve Yahweh as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. Now this was prophesied by Moses to Pharaoh just a chapter before. Moses told Pharaoh this was what was going to happen in their last meeting. Let me read to you chapter 11, verses 4 through 9. So Moses said, this is last meeting with Pharaoh. Thus says Yahweh, about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt. And every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, And all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor will ever be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that Yahweh makes the distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So the Passover was a time of complete deliverance from the old life of idolatry and slavery down there in Egypt in a foreign land into the new life of being and living and belonging to Yahweh, their God. It was the premier salvation event of the Older Testament. Of course, pointing to the super premier event of the Newer Testament, salvation and deliverance in Jesus Christ, of whom Moses was but a picture. Jesus is the greater Moses. The picture of Israel being baptized into Moses and eating heavenly food and drinking water from the rock was but a shadow of being baptized into Jesus Christ and feeding upon him in the newer covenant. After all, he's the true bread that comes down from heaven. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. uh, A familiar verse and a great verse uh, for Pado communion if you're arguing with some friends. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1 to 4. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. 
And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. That was in shadows, of course. But they get to see the real thing with Jesus. Listen to this other fulfillment passage, which was read also. I just want to read a couple of verses in Acts chapter 16. This is a Philippian jailer. After the, after the earthquake, he's trembling. None of, the, none of the people have escaped. The doors are wide open. Remember, he grabs the sword and he's getting ready to run himself through. And they say, don't do that. Then he brought them out. Paul and Silas said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night. Remember, this is just after midnight. And washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So here he is, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's baptized and he's eating bread with the pictures of Jesus, with Paul and Silas, the ones that are bringing him the gospel. All right? A union and then communion, right? Jesus is the new Moses, leading us out of Egypt and giving himself as true bread from heaven and as the true drink that gives life. So it's the Passover. That's the foundation. That's the premier salvific event in the Old Covenant, picturing what Jesus does. So now you know why the author of Judges tells you that at midnight, Samson ripped off the gates of Gaza. In the line of Moses, he was a type of Christ. He was offering the Israelites salvation from their enemies. He was offering them liberty. And they were to figure out that when they heard that at midnight, Samson had gotten these gates. I mean, they wake up, or maybe the town crier goes along when he drops them. He goes, whoa, Samson just dropped gates. And by the time it takes to get her, it looks like at midnight he pulled these gates out. And Samson says, yeah, at midnight. I waited till midnight and pulled them out. And they're supposed to go, midnight? That's when God delivered the, the Israelites out of Egypt. Let's go take over the city of Gaza. He's delivering us. So I pointed out my sermon. They didn't, they didn't get the picture. Uh, at midnight, Pharaoh threw open those doors, said, get out, go worship Yahweh. And that's what Samson was doing. Now you know why Boaz is startled at, at midnight. The text doesn't tell us why. It's the Lord hitting him on the head. And he figures it out. Something's up. And he offers deliverance and rest to Ruth by becoming her husband, redeeming her to be his bride and wife. Uh, what Naomi had understood became true. He was a deliverer, okay, a kinsman, a kinsman redeemer. And he does that. He spreads his wings over her. That's when, of course, Israel marries Yahweh, when he delivers them to be his bride in the Exodus. Now, that's a love story, what Boaz does there. And it's your love story, by the way, because you've been delivered from Satan's grasp to be the bride of Christ. You know, all you men are women because you're all part of the bride of Christ. And all you women are sons of God as well. Okay, we're all together worshiping Jesus as his bride. Every midnight should remind you that Jesus is your deliverer, 
your strong man, your mighty husband that clocked your enslaver and then dressed you up in his purity, Ephesians 5. Jesus is the bridegroom and the supper is the love feast where the bride feasts on the body of her beloved. Even Elihu and Job got it right. The mighty are taken by no human hand. Talk about the exodus and the hand of the angel. God destroys the wicked at midnight to deliver his people. He destroys worthless kings in upright judgment. Pharaoh was a bad guy. When peoples are shaken at midnight and pass away, in a moment they die because his eye sees all. That's what Elihu says in Job 34. It certainly appears that, or to me it's obvious that Elihu was thinking of Passover. By no human hand, the peoples are shaken. They come out of their houses, they know who to go to. Moses, get out. People, get out here. Take our gold. Put it around your necks. Get out. And they plunder the Egyptians. Now you know why David rises at midnight to praise the Lord. When else is a better time to remember God's rules and to remember that he is the judge who destroys those who pervert them, but that he blesses those who keep his laws and love them, call them delight. He feeds his soul with God's sure deliverance, knowing that he has seen that deliverance in the past and will need it again and again. He steals his soul for coming times that try a warrior. And you can do the same, knowing that the Lord graciously provides trials to train you to trust Him fully. What better way to prepare than remembering His salvation in midnight events? Matthew 25, Jesus the bridegroom that arrives to deliver the faithful and waiting Jews from the coming destruction of the older covenant. Those who believed in Him joined the wedding ceremony and feast and were united to Him at midnight. Those who rejected Him dined on the flesh of their children and experienced the worst destruction in Israel's history, particularly as Rome smashed their city and their whoring temple to dust. From that parable, the listeners reminded of the two sides of the coins of salvation. Those who make it into the feast or in the marriage supper and those outside who don't make it in. Like David, Paul and Silas were awake at midnight singing hymns and praying to God. And what a great time to be doing so. And then a great jolt as deliverance comes in and opens the doors and their bonds are unfastened. But here it's a little bit different. They're not concerned about their own deliverance. They're concerned about the jailer's deliverance. They don't take off. And they are witness to the other prisoners. No, they were concerned about the jailer's deliverance. For that night, a Gentile is reborn, is freed from eternal damnation, being baptized and in feasting with the two who brought him and his house salvation. What deliverance occurs on the night that, pre- that Paul preaches till midnight? you know that story? What occurs on that first day of the week, the eighth day? The death and resurrection of the young man, Eutychus, who fell from the third story. Three-stage worldview here. Heaven, land, abyss. This kid falls from heaven into the pit and he falls down dead. And when does that happen? At midnight. All right. He falls in the pit, but Paul, like Jesus, raises him up from the dead. 
doing what his Lord had done during the gospel ministry. Salvation and deliverance comes to these Gentiles in Troas in the form of the boy's resurrection. And afterwards, they all share the Lord's Supper. You go on, the text tells you they all, Paul preaches another six hours, and then they have the Lord's Supper. Okay, they rejoice. Uh, the Lamb has given his life for another, and the Gentiles once again are joined to Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb. They feed on him who resurrects. And finally, the last occurrence of midnight in the scriptures is riffing off of the very first occurrence of it way back in Exodus 12. Did you catch that? We read it from Acts 27. I read it. The terrors, uh, We read it. The text tells you that in Acts 27, that on the 14th night, at midnight, the sailors sensed they were nearing land, that salvation from the storm was close at hand. Because the most joyful thing to see after 14 days of being tossed is land, right? Get off this boat. Then the sailors let down the ship's boat in order to escape the ship. But just as the Israelites were saved by staying in their houses and not going outside on the night of Passover, on the 14th day of the first month, all being in there as the angel Lord passed over them but struck Pharaoh and Egyptians, so Paul reminds the centurion and the soldiers that everyone has to stay in the ship or they can't be saved. So they cut the ropes, let the boats go. The centurion stops the sailors, and all are saved the next morning. But not till after the whole ship eats bread at Paul's urging. Let me continue on in the story, Acts 27. As the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now, how's that for a picture of resurrection on the 14th day of the storm? The 14th day, Passover day of the storm. And all 276 people feast with Paul as he performs the rites of the Last Supper. Now, I don't know that it was the Lord's Supper because I don't know that they're all Christians, but it certainly was the Last Supper on that boat because they throw everything off. But he takes the bread he gives thanks, breaks it, and begins to eat. Where does that come from? Every administration of the Lord's Supper. Paul, as a picture of Jesus, is feeding the Gentiles. He's offering them this food from heaven. And of course, they're all encouraged, and they're listening, and they eat, and the centurions and all of them stay on the boat. Uh, they're feasting on Jesus, the true bread of heaven. Now that's proclaiming the gospel. This is communion with God. Now, I haven't even hit all the other passages in the Bible that mention stuff happening during the night or phrases like in the middle of the night. That's for you to notice and delight in as you read the stories of the Bible and you think, ah, is this another kind of midnight passage here? You know, what are these patterns in the scriptures that they're there for you to discover and delight in uh, and encourage you in faithfulness? So I have one last question. 
I've asked you all a lot of questions. So why should we or you look at this theme of midnight that the Lord repeats over and over in biblical history? Why should we even think about it? There are lots of words in the Bible. Why this one? Well, let me give you several reasons. First of all, God sees when you can't. It's midnight. It's dark outside. He's acting. He's saving when men cannot. They're asleep. You're asleep at midnight. But he's delivering his people, renewing the world, destroying the wicked, all in the darkness. Salvation is of the Lord, clearly. Even though you can't see that, you know that by faith. Salvation is of the Lord. And at midnight, the Israelites weren't doing anything. It was the angel of the Lord, or all these other things. It was the Lord who brought the earthquake. So when you go to sleep, realize that God is working while you sleep. You die to yourself when you lie down. And most times, you can't stop it, right? I mean, you may, you may drive for 24 hours straight, but at some point, you just got to sleep. And you can't stay awake. You have to sleep. So when you sleep, realize that God is working while you sleep. You die to yourself, and the Lord resurrects you in the morning, just like at the boat there. That happens at midnight, symbolically speaking. Just as the Israelites walked out of their homes, through the bloody doors, into a new world of liberty and freedom in Yahweh and Moses. So every morning you wake up refreshed and ready for another day of glorifying God in everything you do. But I think it reaches deeper than that. For finally, when you close your eyes for the last time and darkness is upon you, you won't panic, but rejoice that everything before this has just been joyous preparation for that last, final midnight when your eyes close. For at the final midnight, you will once and for all be saved from Satan and sin. You'll fully enter the marriage feast of the Lamb. So that's the first reason. God is working when you're not, and He's preparing you for that final transition into His kingdom. Secondly, this midnight theme is a reminder that God loves you. He's the one who brings you through the darkness. Uh, just like he did the Israelites. Just like he did Ruth. Just like he did David. Just like he did Paul and Silas, the jailer, the young man, a boatload of people. Samson. Jesus is present with you. He's not absent. As you read these stories, these are but saints. And you are a saint. You have sanctuary access. There's no longer a veil separating you from heaven. Everybody can go in and be with Jesus. Everybody can feed on Him. He is with you in the dark places, protecting and delivering and testing and sustaining you the whole way, constantly reminding you that salvation is of Him. And so rest in Him. When you go to bed, say a prayer. Rest in Jesus. Give it to Him. Because pretty soon, you're gone. And maybe a jet engine will fall from the sky and through your bedroom and kill you that night. You don't know, but you're in good hands, no matter how it works out. Now, be sure and teach your children this theme as well. It's a little easier because they're often fright when they go to sleep when it gets dark. Because it, it correlates with their baptism and their eating at the table in the most synergistic way. They don't protect themselves at night. They're hoping you will, or the Lord. Uh, no, the Lord does. And they aren't strong enough or great enough to protect themselves at night. And neither did they earn their way 
into God's family or to his table. It's all given to them. It's a gift. Just as each new day is a brand new gift from Jesus to them. What do they have that wasn't given to them? This is a theme that generates thanksgiving and praise. It generates faith in Christ. It generates hope. All of life is but Jesus' gift to them. Day by day, midnight after midnight. You pray with them, thank Him for the Lord, the day that happened. Thank the Lord for that. And thank Him for the day to come. And that they are in His hands. Now, they're not up to midnight, but it's getting close. And finally, let me close with this thought. Because I know that y'all are thinking this and have this question in your heart. You know how Jesus knew that the Pharisees were, you know, how can he do that? How can he say that? Well, I know you're thinking this. Uh, you already know that every text in the Bible is about Jesus. Pastor Joe has taught you that. And Jesus said that himself in Luke 24, right? All the law and the prophets about me. It's all about me. So how does Jesus, this is the question, how does Jesus fulfill this theme of midnight? And I think that's a legitimate question because we all know he doesn't die at midnight, saving the world from Satan and sin and disaster. Or does he? Does he die at midnight? He is the fulfillment of Moses, the picture Moses points to, but being a fulfillment, it's a little bit different. Just as Moses was a faithful servant in God's house, whereas Jesus is the faithful son over God's house. So the fulfillment is always a little bit different. That's Hebrews 3. Moses was a servant in God's house. Jesus is a faithful son over God's house. So Jesus doesn't die at midnight, but in the daytime at 3 p.m. or thereabouts by the counts of the Gospels. But what happens at noon? The opposite of midnight. What happens at noon? You know. It gets dark. It gets dark for three hours. Quote, it was now about the sixth hour, that's noon, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain in the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out loud voice, said, Father, in your hands I commit my spirit. And having said that, he breathed his last. So it's midnight at noon. Just as God brings deliverance in darkness at midnight, so the Father brings deliverance in darkness at noon as Jesus bears the eternal judgment of the Father upon the cross. His wrath on Jesus for our deliverance, for your deliverance. In the darkness, when men were paralyzed, they couldn't see anything around the cross and throughout the land of Israel. In fact, it's it's. It's akin to the plague in Egypt, right? But now it's on the land of Israel. Before they were saved from that stuff. But now it's dark. They're paralyzed. During that darkness, Jesus saves. On the place of the skull, in darkness, the head of the dragon is crushed. In the darkness, heaven is opened so mankind, mankind can come into the presence of God without fear through the flesh of Jesus. Remember, as he's dying, the veil is ripped. From that darkness comes the eternal light of heaven to me, to you, to those who love Jesus. So the next time you experience midnight, tomorrow night, be encouraged. 
God is working, delivering, changing history, changing you, changing the political system, changing governments and the conformity of the true king, changing lives and changing people. Moving forward, a great commission. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this encouraging theme of midnight. Help us every night as we go to bed to realize that we are in your hands and you have structured our world that we must rest in you. Help us, help us not to be mad that we have to shut down, that we have to, to go into sleep mode, but help us to be grateful that you love us, that you want to rejuvenate us and repair us and that you'll protect us. Help us remember these stories, how you protect and save your people. We are grateful uh, that you are our Savior, that you continue to save us and you will bring us into the full sunlight of your kingdom. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.